Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will continue in our series going through the book of Colossians. You can follow along with this message by opening up your Bible or your Bible app to Colossians chapter 3. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or our Brookwood app. God, the God of all your days, do you know how to seek him, not only in the bad days, but also in the good, and he's as much God when days are bad. How many are already back in school? I think Christian schools started, is that right? Public schools start this week, is that correct? Some of you took your kids to college, what, last week? Who took kids to college? Who cried out of the, driving out of the parking lot? <laughs> Come on, I'm going to see it. Oh, yeah, I cried, boy, I cried. Um, I can still feel that. You know, these, these children that are going back to school, take some time with them. I think sometimes we assume too many things. There may be some anxiety, particularly those who are going to new schools, larger schools, whether it be moving to middle, moving into high school, moving into college. You know, and I urge you, even if this isn't your habit, talk to your child, pray over your child before that first day. Pray with your child. It may be awkward, it may be clumsy, but the effort will be appreciated and you'll communicate with your child in a way that maybe you haven't been able to before. Summer's over. Your tans look good. I, think, I can see there's, you're slowly drifting back in, and I'm glad to have you. So we continue our survey of Colossians called Living Change Lives. And if you've been out, I urge you to catch up. You know, read that book. It's very short. As I said when we started, read it three or four times. We also have a companion book, particularly for chapter 3 in Colossians. It's for sale out there, Hidden in Christ. Very fine devotional book, 30 chapters by James Bryan Smith. So I commend that to you. Today's message is entitled Employment. And the theme verse is Colossians 3. 23. You can take it, it's on your message guide. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. But my boss is nothing like the Lord. Some of you will find my teacher is nothing like the Lord. My coach, he's definitely nothing like the Lord. But if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter. Because everything you do, including your work and for students, your schooling, your competing as members of teams, is done in relation to Jesus Christ. We can lose sight of that, can't we? 
But as a believer, your work, in fact, your entire life, exists in the kingdom of God. All of your pursuits, when you pack the kids off to the bus, do your kids ride buses? Kids don't ride buses anymore, do they? I walk through the snow uphill, <laughs> both directions. We actually did walk to school. It wasn't uphill both ways, but it's amazing to me. <laughs> I mean, we rode buses to high school for miles, but you know, we would, they had crosswalks. Of course, we would run across the highway and get written up at, when we got to school. And this is elementary school. My life of larceny started very young. There is no innocence in a child from the, from the womb. But as believers, our work, our effort, our employment, it includes our, our activities as students, exist in the kingdom of God. Even while we temporarily reside on earth. Now, perhaps surprisingly, the verses that I'm basing this message on are actually references to the, a slave and master relationship. You say, well, how does that apply to employment? Now, here's a, here's a principle of interpreting Scripture that we should all have. All Scripture was written in a particular time setting, and it needs to be understood what it meant for that setting. But because the message was inspired by God, the passages, all the passages, have relevance for us today. But we have to understand the culture of the time and adjust the message to our culture today. 2 Timothy 3.16, 2 Peter 1.21. Now the closest parallel to a master-slave relationship Today, would you accept that it's employer-employee or for, for students, for teacher-student, for coach-player, where there's a superior and an inferior, there's a supervisor and the person being supervised? Not perfect comparisons, but I think you'll see that the principles in the passage do apply. And so we begin Colossians 3, 22, and it says this, slaves obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Now, does that trouble anyone? It troubles me. Why would Paul instruct Christian slaves to obey their masters? instead of condemning slavery and calling for abolition. Is that fair? Come on, y'all, let's don't be afraid to challenge the Scripture, please. It's okay to take, take a question to it, an honest question to it. Doesn't that trouble anyone? That should trouble us. Now, let me say this. I'll back up to, to give you a little background. Paul clearly did not support slavery as an institution. In fact, he wrote a letter, his first letter to Timothy, his understudy, 
and he included slave traders as a, in a list of the ungodly and sinful. In for, that was 1 Timothy 1, 8 through 10. 1 Corinthians 7, 21 through 23. He urged slaves to become free if they could. But he reassured them that their status as slaves didn't diminish their standing as believers. Paul did not believe slaves were inherently inferior to their masters. Rather, he stated that Christian slaves were brothers in Christ with their Christian masters. How did the church in America tolerate what occurred here? I've discovered some people that say they're Christians are Christians in name only, not willing to pay a price to stand for Christ. Some people are just too weak to stand with conviction and the culture. But I'm comforted by the fact that many abolitionists in England and America were Christians, and it motivated their efforts. The Bible doesn't specifically condemn the practice of slavery. It does provide instructions on how slaves should be treated. Deuteronomy 15, Ephesians 6, 9, Colossians 4, 1, we'll see today. And the law of Moses condemned to death kidnappers who sold their victims as slaves. Exodus 21, 16, Deuteronomy 24, 7. In New Testament times, slavery was of a different sort. I'm not saying... a it was a, a, a good institution, but it was more often a person sold himself as bondservant. Now, it was for a lengthy period of time usually, but to escape poverty, to pay off debts, to provide for their families. And slaves could make money and save money. They could buy property if they could afford it. They could even live separately in many instances. They had responsibility, some did, and, and they could achieve advancement, they would be released at a certain time and, and they could even purchase their freedom. So although I'm not making excuses for it it, it, it did differ significantly from the form of slavery found in our nation in the 18th and 19th centuries. But don't miss this. Paul's primary thrust was not one of social justice. It was to change lives through conversion to faith in Jesus Christ. Which he knew would change the people and as a result would change the culture's institutions. Including marriage and parenting. Because it's in the same passage. Now I'm not going to deal with it next week because JC already took it out of place for that family Sunday. Colossians 3, 17 through 21. As well as slavery. So let's apply Paul's teaching on masters and slaves to employment, but also to academic and athletic. 
pursuits. We're looking at our work habits. And let's start with Colossians 3.17 because I think that was the introduction to these cultural practices. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And then he dealt, deals with husbands and wives and children. And then he moves to slavery. But in terms of employment, the scripture teaches that God wants us to work and earn a living. 2 Thessalonians 3, 11 and 12. And that he's concerned with how we pursue employment. And also our other occupations. Again, for the students that are here. How we pursue our academics. How we... How we put forth effort in the gym or on the field because we're his representatives everywhere, always. And so he gives us guidelines. See, a lot of us separate our lives, don't we? And so we not only behave differently Monday through Friday than we do on Sunday, at least Sunday morning, we think there's a different set of standards, don't we? But there's not. There's not. There's no separation between secular and spiritual in a Christian's life because in a believer's life, all is spiritual. You getting this? Is this clear? All is spiritual. So my work habits, the efforts I put forward, Always reflect my faith. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Verse 22. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Obey your master or boss or teacher or coach. Continually, constantly, always. Do whatever your supervisor wants in his presence or in her absence. Does that seem unreasonable? Anybody? But what if the boss is really unfair? Anybody have a boss that's unfair? And afraid to raise your hands because it might get back to them? Anybody have a supervisor that's overly demanding? You have one of those who really wants you to do not only your work, but also his work. Anybody have one like that? And not a Christian. My boss isn't a Christian. My coach isn't a Christian. My supervisor's not a believer. But do you see any exceptions to this statement? Do y'all see them? Felicia, you see any exceptions? Work willingly in their presence and in their absence. Now, you might at least just say, thank God for their absence. <laughs> Our motivation for faithfully serving our supervisor isn't based on him or her. It's based on me. 
It's based on my faith. It's based on my identity. It's based on my integrity. 22b says, serve them sincerely. Other translations use wholeheartedly or honestly. You have a different translation? A different word there? Yell it out to me. I can't, that must be speaking in tongues. I can't interpret that. (laughs) Because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Because of our fear, and in in this regard, we're talking about fear for God, and it means respect and regard, but you know what? It also means fear. You know what I'm saying? You know, you go in, into the office of the president, there's a little fear. Just, just, you know, I shook Jimmy Carter's hand and just years ago and, and you know, just being that close to someone of that prominence was a little, is a little unsettling. You know what I'm saying? A little bit unsettling. We shouldn't be, we should be loving toward God but we shouldn't be so familiar that we're disrespectful and we lose our sense of respect, regard, and awe. And so, because of our fear for God, this says, we must not slack off, hold back, drag our feet. We must always do our best with enthusiasm and effort. Have you noticed that sometimes your boss actually is telling you the wrong thing to do? Anybody have that? She doesn't know what I'm supposed to do. He doesn't know what to tell me. Anybody have that? So in that instance, what should you do? You should do what's best. You should do what's right. with enthusiasm and with effort. You see, let me say this. If you don't like the company that employs you or the boss that supervises you, as a believer in Christ, you can't get even by lackluster effort because of who you are. Who you are. So avoid actions that are inconsistent with your faith. Spending time on social media during work hours. Taking overly long lunch breaks. Asking someone to clock you in or clock you out. So you can arrive late or leave early. I would spend summers, sometimes Several summers I worked at the medical college of Georgia. My parents both were employed there, and I'd work. One summer I worked down in the shop shop area. And I remember, I think it was like, there were like six-minute increments or something like that. And they knew how to punch it so they got six extra minutes. (laughs) Six minutes. And you'd look out there at the time clock and the line would have 30 people in there. 
waiting to hit it. Well, they took 26 minutes off. They stood in line 20 minutes to get to the clock. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Am I, am I speaking a different language? That's off limits for you. Falsifying expense statements. Well, I don't get paid enough. Even taking items that belong to the company to kind of get even. For students, do your own work. Don't, don't copy someone else's. You know, and, and I know that it's, it's it, quote, it's not fair because it comes easier to some than others. You know, I'm, when I showed in law, up in law school, I had never studied hardly in undergrad. And man, it just about killed me. And I was studying and taking notes and reading and staying in the library every night till midnight. And there was this guy in my class. He'd sit in class. He'd sort of put his feet up. I'd see him now and then hit something on his sheet. We didn't have any computers in those days. We had a mallet and a chisel. <laughs> and this... And I looked at him. I said, what are you, what are you doing? And this guy have one sheet and there might be 20 little words or squiggles on it. The whole sheet. I'm thinking, what are you? And then we took the test. And in law school, you don't have one exam per class. That's it. I made a C. He made an A. I think his name was Sheldon. I mean, at least he looked like him. But is it fair? No, it's not fair. But you know what I learned? I learned how to take a massive amount of material and deduce it down quickly and simply. And I needed that so I could do this. I don't know what Sheldon's doing. He's probably a federal judge or something, but, but his name wasn't Sheldon, by the way. But so, some people expend more effort trying to avoid work when just doing it would be easier. I ran a crew, a cleaning crew one summer, and I could never find those guys. Radio wouldn't work. I had got all kinds of excuses until I finally stumbled on a couple of rooms that were completely hidden. And man, they had constructed some nice places to lay out. And I'm thinking, you guys spent more time building this hiding place than it would have been just to push the broom. If you dislike your job or your boss... Ask for a transfer. Seek other employment. Don't resort to behavior that dishonors God. And that, that even includes belittling, undermining. Verse 23. Work willingly at whatever you do. 
as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. See, Paul knew that they often weren't working for even godly people. But work as though you're working for the Lord always. In other words, serve your employer, your supervisor, your teacher, your coach, as you would serve Jesus himself. Even if he's not or she's not a Christian. See, God expects us to work in a Christ-like manner regardless of how this manager treats us. Now, I want y'all to hear this. I'm turning, there's a, there's a big, bold sign coming on. Listen to me closely. I'm not saying you allow verbal, physical, or sexual harassment ever. Okay? So don't, don't hear what I'm saying as including that context. That's when you go see HR. Well, I might lose my job. That's when you don't worry about consequences. See, Christians have to do what's right. You hear me? And we leave consequences to God. Can y'all say that back to me? Will you do that? Christians must do what's right and leave consequences to God. See, your performance and your attitude will confirm your faith and might cause this person over you to become interested in the gospel. Titus 2, verses 9 and 10. See, understand this. You didn't get that job by yourself. God placed you in that job. He, he put you in that class. Students, you're going into classes. You might say, oh, gosh, I didn't want that teacher. I don't want to be here with... No, no. If you're a believer, that means God put you in that class. Can you accept that? On that team. And it's because he has a spiritual purpose for you to pursue through your efforts. You hear me on this? Well, that can't include your crude, can it, Brandon? You don't know them. I know some of them. So ask God what he's teaching you through your involvement. How's he refining your faith through these experiences? See, there's always that question. Every time you're in a tough place, that question's always appropriate. God, what are you doing in me? What do you want to do through me? How are you changing me? How are you refining my faith in this miserable place I'm in? And here's the broader question. Is your faith evident in the way you work? My work habits will be rewarded by God. Verse 24. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you're serving is Christ. He says that twice, doesn't he? You know what? Perhaps you're not paid what you deserve. deserve. Perhaps you're not treated the way you desire. Is that fair? No, it's not fair. 
But rather than trying to get even in a way that will dishonor God and cast doubt on your faith, remember that your reward is coming from the Lord. Now, you might have missed out unfairly on a trip to Hawaii. But let me tell you this. You have a guaranteed prepaid trip to heaven coming. And you might not get the rewards on earth you want. But the greater rewards are awaiting. Well, you mean I have to live now for heaven? That's exactly what I'm saying. And maturity is the ability to delay gratification. So serve the Lord faithfully, even if you don't get the recognition you deserve, the pay, the pay you, you des- or the recognition you should receive, the pay you deserve, or the position you've earned. And in the end, you'll receive a bonus beyond your wildest imagination. Verse 25. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you've done. For God has no favorites. Doesn't mean God doesn't love you as his own child. That's not what it's saying. But it's saying in his treatment about doing right and wrong, he doesn't differentiate. In other words, his children don't get a pass when they do what's wrong. See, if you fail to complete your assignments with effort and integrity, you will receive the discipline you deserve. And it it might be dispensed by your boss, but you have to understand that the correction for you is always from God. And you have to say, okay, God, is this from you? What What are you trying to teach me in this? God holds us accountable for everything we do. That's Christians and non-Christians because God has no favorites. And when examining how we lived our lives, when he's examining how we've lived our lives and how we've performed our responsibilities. So what motivates your efforts? Earthly recognition or heavenly reward? And then he goes and he deals with the, the, the masters or, you know, the supervisors. And they will be restrained by the master. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. Employers, employers and if you're an employer... You must treat your employees justly. If you're a teacher, and we have lots of teachers in this, in this church and, and a number of coaches as well, you must treat your students fairly because we are all made in the image of God. Genesis 1, 27. Now, if both, if both believers... If both you and them are believers, then you're, you're clearly one in Jesus Christ and you even have no status before God. But if you as an employer, as an instructor, see yourself related to God in the same way as your subordinates 
it will affect how you view them. It will influence how you treat them. God values his children because they're his. And he doesn't differentiate according to talents and abilities. Certainly not according to job titles or grades or income levels. And employers, I urge you, pay your employees appropriately. Treat them properly. See them as brothers and sisters in Christ or as potential converts to Christ. Teachers and coaches must refuse to motivate with anger, with with threats. Rather, you should respect and dignify students because they're beloved by God The image of God is in them, and God might have placed you there in touch with that very difficult student to help him or her improve, to help bring out the image of God that wounds and hardships have hidden so it's hardly discernible. You know what I'm talking about? View those you supervise as whole persons. Yes, with job obligations, but also with family responsibilities. As people with physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs, you must be concerned with their lives outside of the office or classroom. Their personal lives are of no concern to me. I've heard that. You heard that? Don't raise your hand, but you ever said that? Your personal life is of no concern to me. To me, Yeah. Their personal lives are of great concern. Because, see, you won't have your job in heaven. You won't be running your business in the hereafter. And so God's going to say, how'd you treat this one that was so broken that I gave you. So their lives are your concern because that person, those people are made in the image of God and they either are or they might become through your influence a sibling in Jesus Christ. As a Christian boss or teacher or coach, your first priority is to represent Christ. I want y'all to hear that one again. Your first priority, well, y'all tell me, what's your first priority? Now, that's whatever job you have, what's your first priority? Is that every day? In every situation? It's exactly what it means exactly what it means because people must be seen as more than what they produce you see what I'm saying I was a terrible kid I got spanked 32 times in the 6th grade alone 
I spent more time in the hall than all other kids combined. All other kids combined. And I was the valedictorian of the elementary school. But I want y'all to understand this. Because a teacher saw I was more than my terrible behavior. I put popsicles in her purse. I jumped out, I jumped out the window during class. I'm not making this stuff up. I don't know if they saw how tortured I was at home. But they didn't treat me like I deserved and according to what I displayed. You hear me on this? They didn't treat me. Now, I got spanked. We used to spank in those days, children. Educate your kids about this. You had a big old paddle, you know, this thick and boom. You know, it loosen your cavities, your, your feelings. <laughs> Grab your heels. Y'all know that? Anybody remember that? They'd let you go to the bathroom and you'd rub your bottom on the tile. And then if anybody came in crying from getting hit, then we'd beat them up. I was a wonderful child in elementary school. Well, thankfully, they didn't call home much. Although I would see them sometimes in the counselor's office, my parents. That would be an important day. But people have to be seen as more than they produce. People must be seen as more than they produce. But I'm not saying indulge them or overlook non-performance. You know what? I deserve the spankings I got. I never, you know, I never went home and said I didn't deserve that. I thought about what I didn't get caught doing. But managing, correcting, writing up, even terminating or expelling people fairly, appropriately shows concern for helping them develop into the people God wants them to be. So I'm not saying at all be soft in every instance. I'm saying be fair and just in every instance. See how different that is? Do you treat those that you supervise and instruct as siblings or potential siblings in Jesus Christ? That's the question. Counselors, you come to the front. You know, if you're, if you're a teacher and you're a little bit anxious about starting tomorrow or you've, you're a boss and you, you need God to guide you and how to handle it, they'll pray for you. You say, I just need a relationship with Christ. They'd be happy to talk to you and help you to take a step in that direction. They're here to anoint you with oil for healing. And they pray for physical issues, emotional issues, spiritual issues. And sometimes we see miraculous healing. But it's God's choice. It happens, but it doesn't happen at our direction. Let's pray. Father, I pray especially for those children who will go back to school, some who are anxious. I pray that you would be near to them, that you would comfort, that you would guide, that you would give them peace within and hope without. 
Lord, I pray that you would guide us all, that we would have testimonies in this community, in our workplaces. And that a result, Lord, of our influence, many would question the gospel and come to Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for coming. Here at Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. One of the ways that you can do that is by getting connected here at Brookwood. If you would like to know more about the many ways you can connect with other Christians here, or if you just have any questions about who we are, you can email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call us at 864-688-8326. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.